Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Thank you for joining me for episode 6 of the Adventure Games Podcast. I hope everybody is well. And this week I have an interview with Nathaniel Behrens of Redact Games. And we talk about his game Sagebrush, which was released in October 2018. But first I just wanted to talk very briefly about the latest news and some new games that have been announced this past week. So... First of all, there is an update on the game Asylum, developed by Senscape and Agustin Cortez uh, from Argentina. Now, this game has been in development for about 10 years, uh, which is a long time. And one of the questions that Agustin Cortez gets a lot is, why is this game taking so long? So he wrote a dev blog with that title, and in it he goes into great detail about why it's taking so long, the things that they're doing to make the game bigger and better, and uh, all of the reasons why he needs this time to make the game as good as possible. Uh, he also gives a status update, and also the the Avenger game community have been very, very positive about this. They've told him to, they've told the team to take their time, which is very nice to see. So it's a very interesting read for anyone who's interested in game development and if you want to know just how difficult and challenging game development is but it's positive as well uh, so you can read that also Spooky Doorway the developers of the Dark Side Detective have announced their new game which is Sunken Spectre now so far at the time of recording that is the only thing we know about the game uh, we we don't know really anything else. They announced it on their social media with an image of water. So we still don't know what the game is about. But if it's by Spooky Doorway, we can guess it'll be pretty good. I, of course, spoke to Spooky Doorway about their previous game, The Dark Side Detective, back in episode two. So if you want to hear more about that game, you can listen to the episode two. And I want to talk about a few Kickstarter games and a few new games that will be announced. Um, first of all, a game I mentioned before, Don't Forget Me, which is a cyberpunk game just on Kickstarter. That has been successfully funded. So that game uh, should be released by December 2019. But the developer has said that he wants to try to release it before then. Now... Of course, we don't know, but it has been successfully funded, so the game will be released at some point, probably December 2019, so I'll give more information as I have it. And another Cyberpunk game, which I didn't get a chance to talk about in previous episodes, and I want to give a shout-out to, is Born Punk. Now, this game is a narrative and puzzle-driven cyberpunk pixel art point-and-click adventure in the style of 90s games, but designed for modern audiences. It's coming for PC, consoles, and mobiles. Now, this game has already been funded. It was funded within 24 hours. It has had amazing success. Uh, I believe it's already 
taking three times the amount that the developers insert disk 22, uh, headed up by Falco von Faulkner, requested. But there's some stretch goals. They've already achieved some stretch goals. And they're looking for another one. So at the time recording, they have taken about 38,000 Australian dollars. If they get to 40,000, then there will be a third playable character. There are five days left to back this game uh, from the release of this episode. So this game, there is a, a demo, there's a trailer. You can find all of this information on the Kickstarter page. I played the, the demo and I really liked it. There's a huge amount of effort has gone into this game already and into the background of the game. And it's very, very interesting indeed. I backed it and it looks really interesting. So the developers Interactive 22 are hoping to release it by 2020. So I will include the links to this game on the show notes. So that game again is Born Punk. And now, there are a couple of more games announced in the past week. The first game I want to talk about is Three Geeks. Now, this is a game that's been announced. It is a comedy game. So, it involves three friends who are geeks. They've been locked up in an asylum. And in order to escape, they hide aboard a space shuttle that sends them into orbit around Earth allowing them to avoid a nuclear apocalypse caused by Nathaniel, a maniac who wanted to avenge his goat who died from human pollution. Five years later, the shuttle automatically returns to partially irradiated Earth and deposits the three madmen in a desert near a post-nuclear town called Raccoon City. And then the adventure really begins. So some of the features of this game, you control three characters with very different personalities, you saw balance puzzles, it's an easy-to-use interface, and four chapters with at least six hours of gameplay, and it's also a humorous point-and-click adventure, and developers say that it's reminiscent of Dave the Tentacle and Monkey Island with a French touch. So this game, good news is this game is already available on Steam, itch.io, and Game Jolt, and it was released just a few days before this episode was released. So I haven't played it myself, but it does look very interesting. So we'll see how this game does. Two more games first before we go into the interview. Uh, another game is Investigator and Big Crime, where you play as an alligator, who is a detective. This game was developed as part of a game jam, and they then released episode two, and they're nearly finished making episode three now in order to make a big goofy uh trilogy they've gone to kickstarter where they're looking for one thousand dollars they have nearly finished uh they have nearly been successful in the funding uh they may have already been successful in the funding by the time this episode goes out but still you can still help them out some more so they are for the next 22 days so until believe the end of march again it's a humorous game it's a comedy game and again from the trailer it looks really really interesting it looks really nice and we can see how that game does and the final game just to change things up a little bit it is the jester and the madman it is a sequel to the free rare and lovecraftian point-and-click adventure curse of the old gods 
So in this game, the story is after chasing a crazed museum curator around the world, the FBI agent Rick Moriton finds himself locked up in a cell with no memory. It's up to you to find out who put him there and what really happened with the portal at the Congo Mesa. So the game will feature a self-contained story, classic inventory puzzles without dead ends or deaths, and it also includes an updated art style with more harmonic colours while staying true to the original game. Uh, so again, this game will go to a multitude of locations all around the world and it will feature a second playable character. Uh, it's also heavily inspired by the works of H.P. Lovecraft, and there are two different endings to the story, and a third secret ending they will include if they hit a stretch goal. So you can find out more about this on Kickstarter. It is Rick Moriton in The Jester and The Madman. So all of the links will be in the show notes as well. So now I will take you to the interview with Nathaniel Behrens of Redact Games. Nathaniel is an, is a game reviewer for AdventureGamers.com, but recently he's, he decided to release a commercial game. His first commercial game, which was Sagebrush, which is a game where you investigate a compound that was owned by a cult and through uh, through finding you have to find out what happened to the cult and what happened to the people in the cult so you walk around the compound solving puzzles and you listen to recordings and uh, it's I played the game and it it really got to me so I spoke to him about how he developed the game about his research and uh, and about everything else you can think of about the game so here is a trailer for the game and my interview. Please enjoy. I met Anne first, waiting for the bus. She told me she could tell I had a hole in my life. She knew what that was like, she said. She had also had a hole, but it was gone now. I asked her what she was selling, and she laughed and said nothing, nothing at all that what she had to offer was free for anyone who wanted it bad enough. I asked her what had helped her. She just said, James. So I'm joined today by Nathaniel Behrens. I hope I got that name. That, that, yep, yep, that Behrens. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so thank you very much for joining me, Nathaniel. How are you today? Good, good. Um, like I said before, you know, we're kind of hibernating right now the snow's been coming down all night and all day so yeah just kind of bunkered up in so, the house <laughs> so you yeah got very to, good you got the fire going you're at home you're cozy <laughs> i wish we don't actually have a fireplace but that'd be, oh. that would be lovely oh okay <laughs> um I've got, okay. I've got a space heater at my feet so that's <laughs> oh that's nice that's j- probably that's, just as good <laughs> yeah uh, well, so thank you very much uh, for joining me. So I was wondering to get things started. What I asked the other developers uh, on this podcast is, would you mind introducing yourself very briefly and then telling us what your favorite adventure games are? All right. Um, yeah, so I'm Nathaniel Behrens. Uh, informally, I go by Nate, but professionally, Nathaniel, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't really decided where to draw that line. Um, and I don't know that I need to. But um, yeah, I'm an independent game developer. Um, I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is where the University of Michigan is located. And so I've been doing this, well, 
it's weird to call it officially because well, Sagebrush, which we'll be talking about, obviously, is, is my first commercial release, and before that, it was all pretty much just game jam games and that kind of thing. So, I'm relatively new to all of this, um, and even calling myself a developer feels a little bit weird. Sure, yeah, like like me saying I'm a interviewer. It's right. <laughs> or a podcast host. It's like what? But yeah, no. So I've been um, I've been dabbling in it for years since I was a kid, but um, didn't really start taking it more seriously until um, a couple years ago. But it's 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 a side thing for now. You know, uh, it's difficult to make a lot of money as an independent uh, game developer, and uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really doing it for the money. So I have a day job where I work as a, a video producer for a local college, um, not the University of Michigan, but another one in the area. And yeah, so that's you know. That takes up most of my time, and then in my spare time, I dabble with uh, making games. Yeah, well, it's impressive, you know. As I mentioned, I played a game, and I enjoyed it. And considering how it was, um, as you said, part-time along with your day job, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's very impressive. Um, so do, do you have any, before we talk about your game in particular, uh, do you yeah, have yeah. any uh, favorite adventure games that you like to play? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> do you have I think- plenty? <laughs> I think, it, well, yep. so uh, I'll just get this out here. So uh, I, I don't know if I would necessarily call it my favorite one, that, but the Mist series has actually always been incredibly like near and dear to me. And it's funny how divisive that can be among right, like, yeah. game fans. But um, for me, it's not so much the puzzles or anything. I just I love the world and I love the world building uh, and the novels. And you know, I played Mist Online and all this. You know, so that's always been I, I literally playing the, the original Mist. It helped kind of kickstart my interest in creating worlds so that's always been incredibly important to me but also you know nothing terribly controversial grim fendigo is probably my favorite most tim schaefer uh pretty much anything he's done i love the gabriel knight series right yeah, yeah no yeah no, i think they're all uh pretty good choices um no i i haven't played the game you know the miss games i tried playing it but i could never you know get through it maybe i'm mm. i found the puzzles to be quite hard but i have oh, they are the no they're very hard yeah, I remember them. I was like, because you're, you're also like dropped into the world and there's like no, you're not giving any direction or anything. But I do appreciate that they are good games. It just weren't for me. So I'm not one of these people that says, oh, I hate Myst. I don't have good games. I do appreciate, um, I think they, they are good games, clearly. A lot of people really like them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I remember reading the books a few years ago and I enjoyed the story. So again, because I read yeah. that, People are saying, oh, Miss Games don't have any story. I'm like, no, that's not true. They clearly do have a story. And as you say, like a really great you know, world that you yeah. can explore. Um, the first one is fairly thin on story, but by the second yeah. one, they had, they had come up with a lot of like the background kind of lore and all of that. And, sure, and yeah. every other game past that is just, it's infused with this history This like that feels very lived in. And, and I know how to, well, at one point, I knew how to read and uh, write the the language uh, and numerical system. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> this was a long time ago when I had much more free time, you know, but like, but they, they have a working language and, and their own numerical system in that game. You know, that's how much detail they, they went into that kind of thing. And in Riven, you actually have to learn it in order to complete one of the puzzles. Wow. Um, okay. That's, that's pretty, dedication. And that's, it is. Yeah. Uh, and but, there are musical puzzles as well. I heard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, no, I just, I, I, I love that sense that it's, that, that it's a full world not so much the first game, but I mean, I still love the first Mist, but but the Riven and Mist three and and so on, like they just have this incredible sense of place that is honestly one of the main reasons I keep coming back to games. 
Yeah, sure. Well, it's great to know that that was, you know, it's inspired you to become a game developer uh, then as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. So we can get on with uh, your game in particular then. Okay. Uh, first of all, you said you mentioned you mentioned that you uh, made other games before your current game. Uh, do you want to talk very briefly? Are they available anywhere, or is this is Sagebrush uh, the only game of yours sure. that's available? Um, so it's the only one that's available for purchase. It's the only commercial game. Um, okay. I have other tiny little, basically things that I made for game jams. Um, which, if, you know, if you're not aware, like in kind of the game dev community, we, you know, game jams are basically these. Oh, there's my dog. Hi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, that may happen occasionally. He, Made oh, and wants to protect us. <laughs> don't worry. And uh, I spoke with uh, with Spooky Doorway, the developers of D- Dark Thought Detective, and their mm-hmm. dog also had a cameo appearance. <laughs> yeah. So Sagebrush is my only game that's uh, commercially available. It's the only one that you can buy. Um, the other ones were primarily for game jams. A lot of them are just unfinished and aren't available anywhere because they're just sitting on my hard drive, abandoned. Um, but um, I also have some game jam games that are available on itch.io that were I mean they're fine you know but there are games that were made in the course of two days for game jams where it's just kind of it's it's like a sprint you know it's uh, people get together and just work on a game over a very short amount of time and then you know when time is called that's that's what you upload they're they're more like sketches than full games but um, sure yeah it, but but they were it was a very educational thing so working on those kind of helped me build up to making something a little more significant. Well, actually, you know, and then I say more significant, but actually before working on Sagebrush, I did I made a very rookie mistake, which was I'm going to make some huge dream game, this massive project. Uh, and a lot of a lot of burgeoning game developers kind of do this where they, they immediately they jump from making, you know, Tetris in you know, remaking Tetris or something to like, I'm going to make a massively multiplayer, you know. And so I had this idea for this, you know, very kind of like Thief or Deus Ex style stealth game, and it was going to have all this freedom and, and these huge levels and all this kind of thing. And I actually got decently far in working on it um, over the course of about six months, but then I kind of had this moment where I just went, oh, this is going to take six years to finish, if that. And even <laughs> then, it may not be any good. Um, and so I pretty much... Uh, the visual style was actually fairly similar to Sagebrush, and so I kind of took some of my work on that, and I said, eh, not now. Maybe maybe sometime way in the future or something, but let's work on something much more manageable in scale, and that's kind of where Sagebrush came from. Great, yeah, that takes us very nicely on uh, to, mm-hmm. to Sagebrush. So, that, so then at least uh, the other projects you worked on, they helped you in the development of Sagebrush. Would you say that's correct? Um, yeah, yeah, because um, I, I don't really have a strong background in in computer science or programming um i had taken a couple of classes in high school and college and did okay but it wasn't something that clicked with me compared to you know i had friends who just took it and ran with it and that's what they do for a living and that kind of thing um whereas i always kind of struggled with it and i'm not much of an artist 2d or 3d and so it was kind of like well what do i have to bring to this (laughs) um it took working on these smaller projects to kind of wrap my my head around uh a lot of the concepts and get to the point where I felt like I could actually make what I wanted. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I think, you know, they definitely probably would have helped then. Uh, okay. So then we can start talking about Sagebrush. Um, so what, what can you tell us about the, the plot or the setup of Sagebrush for people who might not know 
what it is or have heard of it. So again, I'm trying to avoid spoilers. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'll just you know give it to you. And <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Sagebrush, kind of the elevator pitch, you know, is that it's a it's a narrative adventure game. So it's a first person narrative adventure game about exploring a cult compound. So very much kind of in the in the vein of, of a Jonestown or, or um, Waco, Texas, that kind of thing. Um, basically, it's a, it's this small ranch out in New Mexico that has been abandoned for years uh, after the kind of apocalyptic cult that inhabited it uh, committed mass suicide. So, you know, it's a very cheery topic. It's a <laughs> uh, bright and warm, fuzzy feeling game. Um, but sure, no, yeah, what want to tell the kids about. <laughs> yeah. But no, the, we we tell you that right up front, you know, in the game. Mm. This is what happened here. It's literally like one of the first things you see is this is the site of the 1993 Perfect Heaven mass suicide, and it's about exploring that space. And uh, up front, you're not really aware of who you are or why you're there. Um, and over the course of the game, through exploring the the kind of ruins of the ranch, you piece together, you know, the identities of the people who were there. Uh, what brought them to that group, what brought them to the cult, like what it gave to them that fulfilled them, that made them stay, but also, you know, how things started to get darker and and scarier until it obviously had a pretty tragic end. So yeah, it's primarily, you know, there are some puzzles, but it's primarily about exploration and just kind of piecing together this past narrative. Um, Or in short, uh, I've called it basically gone home with cults, you know, (laughs) Um, and I I think that's kind of the briefest way to explain it. Yeah, Yeah. it's a game. It's a game about, you know, reading notes that people left out and that kind of thing. Uh, Yeah, sure. Read read your notes. And um, yeah, and then you said about, you know, finding out about the people, the members of of the cult. Um, How else do people find out uh, about the members are there anything else you know you mentioned reading notes is there anything else that that the character can use to find out about the members and about the story in the background yeah so i mean some of it's just environmental um mm-hmm. you know you kind of piece piece together things you know by just seeing literally you know the the trailers that the members lived out of these kind of dinky rusting old trailers that couldn't have been terribly comfortable and you know the house the the house where the leader lived and you know the place where they had their meals and that kind of thing um so some of that is just picking up on you know the environment and then um there are also these basically tape recorders that are left around that kind of serve as save points and checkpoints throughout the game and so the game begins with the narration of this young woman um and again you don't know necessarily who it is up front but kind of recounting her her experiences um, kind of in the, in the past tense as if she's reminiscing on it um, about the cult uh, and, and her experiences with it. Uh, and so the tape recorders, as you find them kind of give you these audio recordings uh, of that, that also dive into you know, her experiences with certain people. You know, it's a fairly passive game compared to, you know, some you're not necessarily um, you're not interacting with characters. You know, they're all, mm they're all dead. Um, so, <laughs> Pretty difficult, know. I suppose. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it, it, but that was intentional. It's very much meant to be kind of an, uh, a game with a sense of isolation and a sense of kind of loss and, and sadness kind of hanging over it. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, you, you could, you know, that you fulfill that, you know, I think that's what probably you were going for. At least that's what I felt when I was playing the game. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I don't know if, this is a spoiler or not, but uh, are you talking about the title of the game, Sagebrush? Because I, at least I wasn't aware before playing the game, you know, what it meant. So I was wondering if mm. you want to talk 
But that, if not, we can skip right over. No, we can. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, so the working title of the game was Perfect Heaven. Um, and that came to me very early on, which was as just kind of a... The kind of weirdly on-the-nose name that a cult would use. Um, you know, right, yeah. You know, to someone else, that might seem, like, overly idealistic or, like, so, I don't know, like, you're just going to straight up say you're perfect, but, like, to people in a cult, like, yes, they would. Um, so, or at least in this specific cult. Um, and so, for a long time, you know, and a lot of my file names and folders and stuff are still called Perfect Heaven and that kind of thing. Um, and, but I didn't quite, I, had, I did logo mock-ups and everything, and it just never quite... I like the name, but it, it, it didn't feel like that's what I wanted to call it. Um, it didn't quite click, and I spent a long time trying to figure out what to call it. Um, and I I don't know, for probably the first year, I had no idea. Um, and so I just stuck with Perfect Heaven. Um, and then I won't say there was like one specific thing that brought me to the name Sagebrush, but I think I stumbled on it when I was specifically looking for vegetation um, to kind of fill the, the landscape, you know, and, and I live in Michigan, which is very far from New Mexico and has no, uh, has no sagebrush. Uh, so in order to kind of make sure that I got the vibe of the, the, the desert, um, you know, I started looking up local vegetation and that kind of thing. I kept coming across sagebrush, sagebrush, sagebrush as, you know, different, different types of it and that kind of thing and getting pictures of it, uh, to kind of use in the game and that kind of thing and, and work from. And, uh, Maybe it was just seeing that word enough times, but it just felt very evocative. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I've always liked uh, titles that are short. I don't like the titles that are 900 words long with a colon <laughs> and a dash. And um, <laughs> I, I like things like kind of short and evocative. Um, so rather than call it, you know, like Chronicles of the Cult colon Black Sage Ranch, <laughs> you know, but I always kind of knew that I wanted it to be like a punchy one or two word title um even if that makes googling it a little bit harder <laughs> which it does uh but um yeah so sagebrush it just kind of stuck in my head as, as something that like that plant kind of perfectly encapsulates like the the look and the feel of like the open kind of empty desert and um it's also very flammable and there's a lot of fire imagery in the in the game and you know there's been a lot of news recently about you know uh, the west coast of the u.s you know, having pretty major fires and uh, sagebrush pops up in those conversations and articles and stuff. And so it, I, I don't know. It just, it doesn't yeah. necessarily, it's not a one-to-one, it doesn't point to anything specific in the game other than literal sagebrush, but it just, it, it felt right. Yeah, I think it kind of, you know, makes sense now. But, well, after playing the game then, and as you mentioned, exploring the compound, and um, I suppose, you know, the title does, does make... A sense, sense then after that. Okay, and so this was your first commercial game that you said. Um, so was there any reason why you wanted to tell this story about a cult? Um, or, or, you know, did it, was it just, did you have different stories and you just decided on this? Or how, how did you come to this, make the decision to make a game based, you know, set in a cult compound? Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I mentioned before that I had this, like, much bigger idea that had nothing to do with sagebrush uh mm-hmm. story-wise um that was this big like cyberpunk thing with this expansive story and everything and um and when i kind of put that on the shelf uh i i knew that i needed something smaller you know um i needed a location basically i i thought okay what i i enjoy level design i enjoy building the environments 
And so what if I center it around a small kind of enclosed environment? Um, and at the same time, I had just kind of fallen down the, the wiki rabbit hole of reading about cults, just apropos of nothing, just kind of um, got into it. Actually, I guess maybe the, the beginning of that was there's a there, uh, the National Geographic Channel had a documentary. Um, I should look that up to get the actual title. But basically, it was a documentary about um, a millennialist, like an apocalyptic cult uh, that I believe actually did live in New Mexico uh, that uh, did not, you know, they didn't have nearly the same kind of tragic end. Uh, it, they didn't all kill themselves, thankfully, but... Uh, they definitely believed that this, you know, their their leader was basically the reincarnation of Jesus, and you know, you basically have these people living in shacks and trailers uh, outside, uh, you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere, um, awaiting the end times, and they allowed this uh, documentarian to come in and film them and interview them, and you know, uh, they didn't seem to understand that they might come off not great. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, and they they kind of slowly realize as he's there, like, oh, you're not necessarily getting the takeaways from this that we're hoping. Um, but as he's there, like, more and more just kind of uncomfortable things start to bubble up uh, as far as the leader's relationships with various women in the cult and mm. even some of the children. Um, right, and yeah. all told, that, that guy is now in prison. And they, but they, he, he's been in prison for, yeah, basically various you know, sexual crimes and that kind of thing. And uh, the cult has, like, they run several websites that are basically, like, free Michael Travis, or, you know, um, which, you know, it's, it's fascinating. Like, even when it's, they don't deny that any of it happened. They just, what's wrong with that, you know? Yeah, perfectly um, normal, they're, I'm sure they're, they're thinking. But. Yeah, and there was just something about these people that had, they had no doubt, you know? And that, I've, always been fascinated by how people kind of form their belief systems um whether it's that extreme or you know even literally just you know um mild political ideologies or you know preferences in you know your favorite movies and that kind of thing it's just interesting how these things kind of you know they, they it's a mix of societal things but also just some of it just seems to be not necessarily genetic but i don't know <laughs> Uh, you know what? I'm rambling. I no, no, you're fine. I think uh, I'm going to back up a little bit. <laughs> no, no, I, th I think it, it makes sense. You know what you're saying? Why? Because uh, I mean, for me as well, you know, something with the cult as well that's fascinating. That I mean, it's kind of like a horror, but fascination. That yeah, no, there's definitely a morbid curiosity with. Yes, that's a morbid curiosity why people, because why would people? It seems like it seems so obvious to someone from the outside that sure, it's like, an unhealthy. Well, why would, Yes. It's an unhealthy thing to be a part of. It's a, you know, it's a, this guy's clearly sick, you know, mm -hmm. why would you, but, you know. And why, why would you want to stay in these dingy traders in the middle of nowhere, as you mentioned, you know, like in, in your game, the traders did not look appealing. <laughs> no, no. And that was very intentional. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but seeing that documentary kind of sparked me reading about, you know, everything from Scientology to Jonestown to much, much smaller cults and even plenty of ones that, you know, didn't have violent sure, tendencies yeah. or anything. But through all of them, you had certain things that kept cropping up, and it was just, it was fascinating to me, and I basically, as I was reading about it, I kept thinking, like, there aren't really any games that tackle this realistically, or in a more, like, cults and games tend to be, you know, like, I just played Dusk, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but, you know, and Dusk is a wonderful it, but... game. 
mm-hmm. it's fantastic. Um, you know, it's very much like a retro shooter. And, you know, it's about cults, and it has actually some fairly similar imagery to Sagebrush, but it's certainly not interested in the psychology of the, mm-hmm. the cultists you're mowing down. It's, you know... The motivations about, are... Right, and most cults and games are... And I'm not criticizing Dusk, it's, again, wonderful. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, most games, it's pretty much like, oh, these guys are crazy. They're either trying to summon Satan or... You know, they think they're trying to summon Satan, and then <laughs> yeah, or yes, exactly, or it's Lovecraft, um, and you know, they should probably be killed. So you know, uh, yeah, sure, they're, they're evil, so we should kill them, right? And um, and I think there have been some some you know movies and books and stuff that have tackled like fictionally have tackled it a little more empathy, but not many games or really any games that I can think of. Um, and so my just kind of months-long interest in that, along with deciding that I needed to have this smaller-scale game that was in this, you know, kind of small location that didn't really have a lot of people because I'm not great at modeling <laughs> characters and animating, mm-hmm. you know. There, so it was a mix of technical limitations and just my own just kind of interests in, in in the topic. Um, and I decided maybe this is something that I would have something to say. Yeah, yeah, no, that's actually one of the things that appealed to me about the game, because as you mentioned, I do, can't think of any other games offhand that deal with this topic, with, with cults, but in this way, as you say, unless you're <laughs> shooting them or, or unless they're you know, Lovecraft, but not, right. totally not, not a realistic uh, portrayal of cults and cult members and to try to understand why would they join a cult and live in the middle of nowhere in dingy trailers. And yeah, so you mentioned, and, and it do seem to be a thing, or at least it seems to be an interest in cults now. I think with Netflix, they had a. I haven't yeah. seen it yet, but there was something. Was it Wild Wild West or something? Wild Wild Country. Yes, that's it. Yes. Yeah. I Which I, I actually still I still haven't watched it either. It came out. <laughs> I actually specifically didn't watch it while I was working on the game because it came out probably when I was I don't know a few months from the end. Uh, uh, right. From yeah. Eating it, and I, at this point, I was like. I, I was kind of worried about it tainting what the game had become. It, it, it had finally had its identity and everything. So, um, sure, but no, yeah. I, I, I hear it's fantastic, and I do want to look, check it out. Um, yeah, no, de- definitely. Yeah, no, my, myself as well. But and um, so, so you mentioned that you read up about them, about cults and everything, and you saw this uh, ge- uh, geographic channel, I think, documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, did you do any other types of research that did then making this game? Did you? Uh, I, I don't know, did you read other documents or did you try and speak to any people who may have been part of cults or I don't know? Or I, I wasn't able to find anyone. Um, yeah, who'd be willing to talk. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, so I didn't talk to any existing cult members. Though I have I have since the game's come out. Not, ah. again, again, not, uh, not anyone who was part of a cult that was quite so intense. But um, yes, but no, while, while developing the game, I tried to just kind of absorb as much as I could so a lot of that some of it was just literally reading Wikipedia articles I'm not gonna mm. lie about that you know but, oh, well, but, but you know but um, a lot a lot of times that led to you know that led to interviews directly with you know uh people's temples survivors and from Jonestown or um you know accounts of you know there was a cult that uh it actually was from a town fairly close to where I live that was famous for its baseball team in the early 20th century, and their baseball team would, you know, play uh, in I forget what league. It wasn't a major league team, obviously, but yeah, they would basically travel, and, and they were all members of this fairly uh, intense 
religious cult, and they all had really long hair and long beards and stuff, but they were really good at baseball, and so people kept playing them. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, anyway, so, but uh, a lot of it was trying to find firsthand accounts of people who had been in cults and gotten out, or uh, also uh, some articles by psychologists trying to kind of break down the types of people that are susceptible to it, which, spoiler, there isn't necessarily any one type of person that's susceptible to it. They're not... Mm. You know, that was that was kind of the, the remarkable thing is we all kind of think like, oh, these guys must be such idiots or just such rubes or something. And not really. In fact, plenty of people who are very intelligent are still susceptible to well, it. Um, well, absolutely. You know what? I mean, what I consider maybe is people who are maybe looking for something who are not happy with, you know, what they're doing or I don't know. But I mean, as you said, of many different types of people who are susceptible, it's not just one, but I, you know, I wouldn't consider them just idiots. I would maybe people who at that moment in their lives were able to be manipulated, but mm-hmm. and it, it, wasn't, it could happen to anyone theoretically, I imagine. Yeah. And as much as I read, there was never like a satisfying, like, Oh, this explains it. Um, mm-hmm. But it did lead closer towards like, at least being able to portray the types of people who, who seem to be in a position where they, yeah, that kind of manipulation works for them or appeals to them. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> I don't. You said you were in Michigan, so it's very far from New Mexico, but mm-hmm. presumably you haven't. But ha- have you investigated or have you seen any of the compounds firsthand? Because when I played your game, I was kind of okay. It's disturbing, but I kind of would love to visit mm-hmm. just to get a sense of <clears throat> of it. Have you ever had a chance, or do you know anybody who was able to visit a compound? Or not firsthand. They, uh, you know, by nature tend to be pretty locked down or the ones that are no longer inhabited there's usually reasons that they're no longer inhabited (laughs) they you know um so um no but i did you know i i looked up um maps of um you know waco uh Mm -hmm. the branch davidians in waco and in jonestown and uh those are those were larger than uh black sage ranch ends up being in the game but i I, I literally used satellite images and that kind of thing to mm-hmm. at least kind of get a sense of, you know, maybe how they laid things out. And, oh, right, I guess you would have to have a farm to sustain yourself if you weren't. Yeah. You know, that kind of, yeah. Um, and it kind of, there are a lot, there are hundreds and hundreds of photos from Jonestown specifically out there that um, many of which, I mean, fair warning, if you Google image search Jonestown, there's some pretty uh, disturbing stuff. Um, I can imagine. Um, but there's also plenty of there's also uh, hundreds of images from before kind of the the tragedy there that uh, just show people living their lives, you know, and kind of, you kind of get a sense of the accommodations and, and, you know, how they spent their time and, and that kind of thing. And, and that was a massive influence. So I tried to get kind of firsthand sources there, I guess, secondhand, you know, like short yeah. of actually go, being able to go out and visit, you know. Yeah, um, this is the next best thing, I imagine. I tried not to just rely on imagination yeah yeah i think uh in in the game at least uh no i've never been in you know in any kill, kill compound myself but it felt kind of real you know as you mentioned the farm and then the, you know the canteen where they all ate and then the trailers mm-hmm. and then the, the leader who whose uh combination for some reason was much better than than the other members yeah yeah <laughs> and uh but it, it felt you know kind of real as you were exploring and so then we're the the characters again another thing about the game that uh, struck me was when you're reading about the characters and you know again they felt real like they didn't seem like that you mentioned like idiots or anything that they felt like you know real people and and it, they didn't seem like all of them to be you know 
terribly on like they were being manipulated and brainwashed but they didn't all of them didn't seem to be terribly like unhappy that we would think uh, that they right. kind of seemed normal if you if you know what i mean and from the notes and from the tape recordings so were the characters in the game that we read about were they based on any real people who you came across in your research that were involved in the cults or none of them were kind of like one-to-one like oh this person is based on this person but i let me see how do i want to yeah, no. <laughs> yeah i guess i was thinking about it. no none of them were none of them were based one-to-one on a single person but they were kind of all drawn from just you know interviews and you know and, and then yes this is where my imagination did have to come in mm. because you know there are plenty of cult members who aren't super or former members or something like that who don't want to talk about it all the time and yeah you know, I, can, uh, I can understand <laughs> yeah so uh, there were there were elements that i definitely drew from kind of the 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 books and, and articles and stuff that i came across and and one of those absolutely was that you know at least at first like they are genuinely pretty happy like they're there because they are getting something out of it it's not mm-hmm. like it's not like you show up on day one and they're like all right cool whip yourself and starve yourself and you know kill yourself and everyone's like great cool this is what i signed up for you know it's a gradual <laughs> it's a gradual thing and and you know i think maybe i could have spent a little more time in in game exploring that but uh you know i i remember very specifically you know reading a bunch about scientology and scientology has a um a branch called narconon which is a, a basically kind of an alcoholics anonymous kind of uh, alternative for basically drug abusers trying to you know trying to get clean and it apparently works quite well and you know when you first go to a scientology branch or something you know and and you try to talk to someone there you know they don't immediately start talking about the wild stuff that we now know from south park and (laughs) you know wikileaks has gotten some of it out there you know um they come in and it's just like it it's pretty much low level therapy you know and it apparently you know for judging from uh, accounts from people who've been in it you know uh, early on it it does help it gives them you know they they do feel better or they are able to kick a habit or they do finally feel a sense of community um and so you know early on it can it is a positive thing and you're then you're tricked into you know mm-hmm. because you're getting that positive feedback when things start to shift towards more control and more um more kind of abuse uh and and less critical thinking and that kind of thing, you're you're primed to go along with it um, sure, and so yeah. a lot of so a lot of the character I made sure to go through and with every character kind of give them something that maybe a reason that they felt um, they felt something was missing and then to kind of hint at what they were getting out of it um, whether that was companionship or you know religious fulfillment or just literally something to do with their time like you know hey I, my farm is you know my farm failed but here I get to farm and provide for a bunch of people you know like not necessarily one thing, but, you know, I tried to make sure that everybody had at least something they were getting out of it that was positive, that was genuinely positive, um, so that they weren't just idiots, you know, they weren't oh, just, yeah. you know, they weren't, yeah. they weren't just totally gullible who just went, yeah, sure, cool, this sounds great. Yeah, and, because I think I remember, sorry, go ahead, yeah. No, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, um, now again, we can cut this if this is a spoiler, if you want me to, but I remember mm-hmm. one of the characters, uh, she... I think she had an abusive husband. 
that she mm-hmm. wrote about in the notes, and then she escaped to that cult, and you know she found them, and at least at the beginning, you know, as you say, she was positive about that. So again, you know, she people maybe escaping from one thing, and they found solace in in the cult. Um, in, in that, so so yeah, there are different yeah. reasons why people would would join. And I think we kind of got that at least some part in in the game as well. So. Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned, the, the location, the compound it, itself, it at least to me felt kind of real. Mm-hmm. Um, what, was it based on any real location or different real you know locations, or was it your imagination that you made it like that, or you know, the layout? Um, you know, did you get it from any of your sources? Or so I would say the primary inspiration was that National Geographic documentary. Um, okay, it's called Inside a Cult. Um, Inside a cult, yeah? The compound was primarily inspired by, um, it's a group called the Lord Our Righteousness Church, um, and they are in New Mexico, and they have a small community, mm. um, and th- they were the subject of that of that National Geographic documentary, and I was, I was drawn to them because they were, you know, not one of the famous, you know, it wasn't Jonestown, it wasn't Scientology. You right, know, it was, yeah. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't Heaven's Gate. It was much smaller. And first of all, just from a pragmatic standpoint, the having a, a smaller scale was, you know, something that was easier for me to accomplish um, working by myself. So, you know, having this kind of small, small uh, group of, you know, forty or fifty or something like that, or made sense there. Um, but I also just really loved the. I shouldn't say love. It was, you know, it's kind of a morbid thing. But, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I know what you mean. That yeah, you found it. I was drawn to. I was exactly, drawn to yeah. um, <laughs> this image of, of just kind of you know this empty space with these old ramshackle buildings in it um, that you kind of come across in the you know, and I believe you know in the, in the documentary they actually do have like a barn that is you know not the same as, as the barn in Sagebrush, <laughs> thankfully, but it's uh, you know it just kind of like. The image of it struck with me. Sure. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. So. So. Yeah. That was. I mean, it's not. Uh, the ranch in in Sagebrush is not specifically based on that. It's not. You know, I I couldn't ever find like a map or anything like that. So you know, it's a. But it's certainly inspired by. Okay. Um, yeah. It's. Okay. We can start. We can talk a little bit about the uh, the gameplay of the of the game. Then we can move on. So you mentioned uh, that it was like, uh, you know, that you said it's like Gone Home with cults. <laughs> mm-hmm. So h- how would you describe the gameplay for, again, for someone who maybe has never played a game like this, who's never played Gone Home, or even if they have played Gone Home, right. uh, what, what would you mean, you know, uh, so how would you describe the gameplay of Statebrush? Well, there's a reason that I kind of call it a narrative a narrative adventure game, um, is kind of the the made-up genre that I settled on, and I... I went with that because I, w- I kind of wanted to imply that this is not a game where you're mixing seven inventory items together or, you know, it's to solve a puzzle or, you know, having to learn a new language or something, <laughs> you know. Um, it, it, you know, there are puzzles, but it's not very puzzle heavy. It's very mm. much kind of like the puzzles are pretty much there to give it some structure. Um, but sure, otherwise, yeah. it is the primary draw is the story and the environment. Um and so it's very much a game about exploration and just kind of poking at this environment and piecing together. You get little fragments of the story and not necessarily in order and just kind of piecing together uh, in your mind. 
um, rather than experiencing it firsthand. So yeah, it's okay. yeah. yeah. Uh, were there any um, you know inspirations? Like, were there any other games uh, that inspired you to make the game like that and the gameplay like that? Were there any other games that you've played that you thought, wow, this is really cool? Or was uh, did you just find it comfortable to make a game this way yourself? Um, <clears throat> I mean, I enjoy you know basically the kind of derogatory name for it is walking simulator, right? But some people yeah. are starting to just take that and, and say, you know, what? Yeah. I know. Forget it. It is a walking sim. I don't care. I call it a walking sim. You know, yep. so we're taking it back. It's but like kind of like, you know, when people say like a mist type game or mm-hmm. it could be like anything like mist type or I don't know. Like I, I don't think there's anything wrong with them. I enjoy them. But um, well, maybe not to puzzle heavy, but like sort of like a walking simulator. Like sometimes it's nice just to uh, just to explore. Yeah. And but, it's yeah. I enjoy them, um, but it's certainly not, you know, I wouldn't count a lot of Walking Sims among my favorite games of all time or anything, but um, I was drawn to it because my background is more in, again, fiction writing. Uh, I, you know, I've done some script writing, amateur, not, you know, nothing that made <laughs> it to publish. <laughs> nothing published, yeah, yeah. And, you know, filmmaking and that kind of thing. And so, I was, that's, the it was the kind of narrative and atmospheric side of it that I was more comfortable with than necessarily the kind of mechanical and systemic side and, and like the gameplay side. So at least for this outing, I kind of focused on playing to my strengths and kind of negating my weaknesses uh, mm-hmm. as a developer. And so that meant leaning into okay writing and the environment and that kind of thing and staying away from designing complex puzzles or you know. Mm-hmm. Systems that would have taken a long time to, you know, uh, the program out and that kind of thing. So that's that's where a lot of that came from. It was just kind of a pragmatic solution. But I do enjoy those games that really kind of push the story to the forefront. And so it made sense for the story I wanted to tell. Um, yeah, I went back and forth, back and forth a lot on um, how puzzly to make it and how mm-hmm. linear to make it. And at various times during development, it was either much more open, where there were basically no puzzles keeping you locked out of anything, you know, outside of maybe the, the the last couple of areas. And then there were other times where you, it was much more strictly routed. Um, and in the end, it actually did end up fairly linear, a little more linear than I would have even have liked. But I, I, I didn't want to do the thing. So I will say another one, of my one of, another one of my inspirations was certainly for like the, the look of the game was kind of older survival horror games from, like the 90s, so Resident Evil and Silent Hill and that kind right, of thing. Right, yeah. And, but one of the things I didn't want to do from those, I love those games. Those are some of my favorites. But one of the things from them I didn't want to take was these puzzles that kind of just have nothing to do with the, the world you're in, where it's just like, okay, I'm in a police station that's overrun by zombies, and I have to solve this poem to get a key that's shaped like a you know rooster to take to, to unlock this door. Like, who designed this? I know, station? yeah, who... Um, who who would do that in real life? <laughs> and and in Resident Evil, it's part of the charm. I love that, but yeah, uh, but it didn't make sense for me. I didn't for this. You know, I didn't I didn't want you to have to you know solve a slider puzzle to get into the um, to get into the barn. You know, <laughs> and so I struggled a lot with how to I- include puzzles that were still kind of fictionally realistic and, and, and relevant and you know and then you run into the problem like okay well if you give someone a shovel 
why don't they just bash every door down or something like that, you know, or <laughs> why don't they just jump over the fence? And I was able to solve some of those, and some of those you just kind of wave away as, you know, hey, it's a game. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so in the end it ended up with there are puzzles, but they're not meant to be massive roadblocks. Um, but they're there to give you something to do beyond just literally just reading. Um, and to kind of give you a sense that you're kind of peeling apart the, the compound, uh, almost like an onion, kind of getting closer to the core of it, you know, mm-hmm. as you kind of crisscross back and forth and unlock new areas. Yeah, that's, well, that's one of the things that I, that I liked about the game. As you mentioned, that there were no, like, not a slider puzzle. That Because I think this game, that's so, like, kind of, like, realistic. It wouldn't have made sense, like, in mm-hmm. a compound, you know, called <clears throat> compounded design these mechanical or... Uh, you know, slider puzzle, it, I would have been like, God, just, it would have taken me out of the game. That it also made sense, you know, if you dig something, then you look for a shovel, get the shovel, and you dig for it. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned the answer to my next question, which was, you know, puzzles versus exploration and, and story, so you're trying to get to, to balance uh, there. Uh, are you able to talk about what type of maybe puzzles you did ha- you did include in, in the game uh, for people who haven't played it? Yeah, so, on like, the vast majority of what you might call puzzles, if you would even call them that, would just be <laughs> finding the key, finding the key to unlock the next door. Um, Sorry, there could be like tasks, maybe. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's not even necessarily a puzzle, but it's it's something. Yeah. It's an obstacle, right? Um, to, to keep there, us occupied. <laughs> there are only a couple of puzzles as such that, were, that really require you to stop and and go. Oh, where do you know? Like, I, I actually need to think about what to do next, as opposed to okay, this key probably unlocks this door. And so, again, I struggled a lot with trying to make sure that those fit into the fiction um, rather than feeling like they were just puzzles that got jammed in because you need puzzles. So, yeah, there's some there, there are some puzzles that involve what I thought, you know, certainly a lot of cult leaders and, and not even cult leaders, just religious people in general are fascinated with certain numbers, you know, Bible codes and, and, and you know, certain numbers have tons of significance and certain dates have tons of significance and that kind of thing. So a lot of the puzzles revolve around, you know, specific dates or numbers um, that are significant to James, the leader. And so it's a, it's a little bit about like diving into his history or, you know, his mm-hmm. psychology or that kind of thing. And usually that involves, you know, okay, what's the, what's the key code here? Well, it's, probably a number that's significant to them so you know sure um, yeah another thing i forgot to mention as well about the characters is that this the character you know james uh mm-hmm. the leader that so one thing i liked is that okay he's not shall I say a nice man but he didn't come across as evil leader as probably so many other fiction things that mm-hmm. you could kind of like think oh geez he's like he's human as well he <laughs> so we can talk about the the graphics then so you mentioned it's as well, so I'm just going through the the Steam page where you know you mentioned that you have you combine retro aesthetics with modern technology, you know, with mm-hmm. uh, for the soundscape and that. So again, the question I suppose I want to ask is why did you choose to go you know 3D and you know low res? Did, did you just decide early on, or did you decide as you were making the game that this is the best to what you wanted to do? This is this fit your vision for the game? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I mean, as far as going 2D or 3D, I feel like at least I, a lot of it was trying to find a style that fit. Again, I don't. I'm happy with how Sagebrush looks. I think it. I, I think it looks, you know, even pretty at times and that kind of thing. And, and mm-hmm. but I don't. I don't consider myself much of a much of an artist. So it was about finding a style mm-hmm. that worked with that that I could make look nice. Um, and I, in the past, have tried pixel art, and it's just, it, it never comes naturally to me. And so, you know, I have played around with Adventure Game Studio and various other engines that are more 2D in nature, and 
I just could never make it look. I never liked the end result of what I was making in them. Sure, yeah. You know, visually, even though I do love those, like I love games that use AGS, you know, like the Wajidai games, that kind of thing. Now uh, they mm-hmm. look incredible, but because they have these super talented artists and it's a lot hard to kind of hide a lack of talent uh, in that kind of thing. So that was part of, part of the reason I went with 3D, which isn't necessarily easier, but it's just a different kind of skill set and it's something I have a little more experience mm. with. I, I in the past had made some you know, maps for un- like old Unreal games and that kind of thing. And so I, I was more familiar with just kind of building 3D spaces. And again, I just, I loved the, I loved the look of kind of the, the early, the early 3D era of the PlayStation 1, Sega Saturn, mm-hmm. you know, Quake era of PC games and that kind of thing. Um, and I did, I went there because I liked that look, but I also had a little bit of an inkling that, you know, people have been kind of joking that, you know, after the pixel art nostalgia, like not that I think that's going away, but eventually the, the people who grew up on that early 3D are going to reach the age where they're making games, and then that's going to be the nostalgia wave. And actually, I think that's kind of borne out if you look at games like Paratopic and Dusk and a lot of other games that actually have a pretty similar style. But when I started on this, I actually didn't know about a lot of those. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I was about trying to find a style that, um, you know, I, I know how to do some 3D modeling, but I'm not, I don't have the patience to like make things look intricate you know and it's not necessarily scalable for one person to make this like insanely detailed world and everything so kind of going with a low poly style you know these kind of pixelated textures it it allowed for some rougher edges and for me to kind of produce the art faster but on a kind of a more artistic side less pragmatic like i i really like horror games that have that kind of pixely lo-fi look it's kind of like how a lot of horror movies use you know vhs kind of distortion and effects and stuff it's creepy um and i didn't go as far as putting in like a vhs filter over sagebrush i thought about it but i didn't go there but um like kind of a a post-processing effect but um but there's something about in horror games and i I don't consider sagebrush it's not a true horror game but it is definitely horrific you know it's creepy yeah but there's something about kind of these visual styles that kind of withhold information where you're not quite sure, mm-hmm. is that is that just a speck in the back or is that, what is that? And, you know, like I think back to playing Doom, which the original Doom is kind of a horror game as much as it is like just a wild shooter. And, you know, they had this, these low bit rate, uh, bit depth, sorry, this low bit depth. Uh, so the kind of like shadows had this like squirmy kind of look to them. <laughs> Where you could make, you was like, is that an enemy or is that just the wall kind of like coming into, coming into view? Like, what's going? Like, it just, it was. You didn't know what was kind of beyond the edge of your 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 light, you know. Um, and I wanted that feeling for Sagebrush, where you're walking along and like you don't quite know what's at the end of the hallway. Um, and so a lot of the visual style came around trying to just grab that that feeling from again, these kind of older horror games where yeah, yeah. they had to use, you know, less was more because they didn't have the technology to have everything be sure, yeah. super slick. So they, well, had to rely, they had to rely on very evocative imagery um, and and implying things in the distance and, and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, well, I, I think it, you know, it did work because as you mentioned, it's not specifically a horror game, but it's certainly creepy, you know, with, uh, with the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know certainly um, you know as you go along in the game as it you know turns to night, and then you're going down the hallway and you are wondering 
like uh, even like when reading the notes and listening to the audio recorders, they're thinking, "What am I going to find? You know what? Right. What? Just turn the corner to go to the new room." And then when I just got there, like the first part of the game, and the music is on, you know, I think it's the it's the choir music that, or you yeah. know, the music. Yeah, that even that, like in that context, was creepy, and mm-hmm. I turned it off. I was like, "Oh my god, I can't deal with this." I have to yeah, right. That's why I let you turn it off. <laughs> yeah, because no, I, I, at first I kept it on because at first I was kind of, "Oh, this is soothing," and then I, I went into the other part of the the compound, and I could still hear it from a distance. And I actually went back and I turned it off. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I just can't take with this. I need, you know, because I was like, I don't know what I'm going to like find, you know." Yeah. Later on, but yeah. So, which engine did you end up using? Which game engine did you end up using? So it's it's Unity 3D. Um, okay. And, you know, um, I've been using Unity for a while. Um, one because okay, so you was... know about it then. Hmm. Yeah. So you know uh, about the engine then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I I'm just comfortable in it. Um, it. Again, because I don't have a strong, I'm not like a programmer by nature. I've gotten a lot better at it, but I don't necessarily want to have to get into the weeds with you know coding low-level things, you know. And so having something that kind of gets you up and running quickly, and then you're free to like make the make the game and not just make the tech behind it, uh, is is really appealing to me. But then as far you know as as far as kind of the the more common or or a bit like accessible uh, engines that do that for you. Um, you know, AGS is great, but it's pretty much 2D, you know, um, and Game Maker as well can do some 3D, but it's not made for that. Um, and then Unreal, honestly, just Unreal didn't run very well on my Mac, so, you know, and, and Unity did, so there, there you go. Um, I, 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 work, I work across PCs and Macs, and so being able to use the same code base and, and have the editor reliably work on both, like... Was, was, major, make your decision was a major right? selling point, yeah, um, yeah. So, okay. but yeah, it was it was funny because in getting this kind of look, you actually do have to kind of trick the the engine into not doing things. You have to tell it like, no, don't look that good. And you know, Unity is <laughs> if you use all of the bells and whistles, it can look really nice. Um, I mean, a lot of that depends on the art assets that you're bringing to it, but it, it's a, it's a capable engine for sure. And so it was like, no, 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 I I don't want. You know, even texture filtering, and I don't want like I had to trick it into lowering, like rendering at a lower resolution and that kind of thing. So, um, sure, yeah, but, yeah, go ahead. Okay, but at the same time, it, um, you know, I, I think you mentioned in the the store description, it says something, you know, like retro retro aesthetics with modern technology, and and so you know, it has real time lighting, for example, you know, with this, you know. Your flashlight casts shadows, and you know I think one of yes, my, favorite, yes. my favorite touches is when you first enter the community hall in the very beginning, and the sun like there's a little streak of sunlight that kind of like shoots through the open doorway and lands on the map that you want to find, and it's just this I, I mm. you know, and like that was very carefully positioned so that that <laughs> happened, um, and it was moments like that that I you know I was like no I need to keep real time lighting in rather than kind of really going for a PlayStation one yeah. mid-90s kind of look where it's all vertex lit and that kind of thing. Um, kind of like a balance maybe of... <laughs> yeah, and there are there are other developers who are kind of working in a similar visual style that are more strictly you know, adhering to, to the limitations and it looks fantastic when they get it you know, when they, when they do it. It's, but for me, I wanted to kind of evoke that era without necessarily sticking totally to it. Sure, yeah. Well, I think it 
it it worked, you know, it from from what I could you know see from the play. I'm not a programmer myself by any means, but um, uh, w- would you recommend the the engine yourself to maybe any other developer who maybe in similar position to to yourself that's wanting that's maybe not a programmer as such or an artist but wants to make a game? Would you recommend that that engine from your experience? Um, you need to be comfortable with code uh, at some level okay. in Unity. Um, there are other engines, you know, like Game Maker uh, and even yeah, AGS or RPG Maker or something like that that um, give you more tools up front to just kind of plug and play and you know and focus on design and writing and that kind of thing. Um, with Unity, you know, I still spent most of my time making the game in a text and you know like in Visual Studio, uh, working mm-hmm. with code, you know, and and so it's certainly I did I wasn't able to get around that you know I had to learn yeah I had to learn a lot and it was very much a trial by fire for me <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, I've since learned a lot of things that I would not do again you know in terms of how I structured it and that kind of thing. so Unity is probably it's easier to get into certainly than a lot of other 3D engines um, but if you you can't really get into it without learning some no, C sharp um, and and then kind of sure. know knowing the concepts there. But there are also tons of resources to help people get up to speed. Like, there's a reason that it's so popular, and it's because it is easier to get into than a lot of the alternatives. Um, but if you... But if, sure, if, yeah. but, if, but if the very idea of having to, you know, type out <laughs> C-sharp code or something like that uh, is, is terrifying... Um, well, I mean, it was it was terrifying to me at a certain point, and I was able to get yeah. over it. So, but, but, if, but if you want to start a little lower, or a little, like, something a little more accessible. Uh, yeah, Adventure Game Studio, uh, RPG Maker. Uh, sure. Game. You I guys think, are I think all everyone like... should make games. <laughs> yep, I think it would really, really help us, you know, because, you know, like, when people say, oh, you know, not, not your game, but when other people say other games, oh, this game sucks, and I'm like, oh, that person or those people probably spent, like, hours and weeks and years making that game. Yeah. And we don't really understand, but... Oh, no, I, you know, I've been... I've been also writing reviews for adventuregamers.com yes, I was just for, going to for years. Ask about that, yeah. Yeah, well, well we you can know. talk about it now. So, do you think that um, now, so since you write reviews, um, has that really helped you develop the game? Or did that help you maybe decide, like you knew, you maybe you knew like what you wanted, what you didn't want in the game, like any maybe bad habits in games, maybe that you didn't want in your game? Would that have helped? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I um, I mean, I, I, this is gonna sound like I'm patting myself on the back, but I've always tried to think critically about the games I've been playing. Um, mm-hmm. It's you know, when you're a film and English major, you kind of just can't just read a book or watch a movie anymore. And it's the same thing <laughs> with games; like it ruins <laughs> the ability to just enjoy things. Um, and so it's it, you know, when I play a game, I, I start kind of, I just immediately go into like analysis mode and. So certainly reviewing helped me kind of put words to that. But even when I wasn't, even before that, um, you know, I would just sit around with my friends and, and talk, you know, game design and that kind of thing. Um, sure, yeah. And it, probably with more profanity, you know, unless <laughs> <laughs> fewer fewer uh, multisyllabic words, but, you know, still basically the same basic idea of, you know, why did this work? Why did this not work? And so certainly that gave me a lot of a lot to work with uh, in terms of like, okay, how do I... How can I accomplish what I want to accomplish? You know, you, things like, you know, in, in Sagebrush, you know, it, it's kind of an elementary concept, I guess. 
depending on who you're talking to, but you know, it, it's not necessarily obvious if you haven't made a game before, but it's like, well, mm-hmm. if you just drop someone into this giant environment with no direction, mm-hmm. they're going to get frustrated. They're going to get lost. So, okay, you gate them a little bit at first, you know, and that's why you start outside the compound and there's only like three things to interact with. And that kind of gets you comfortable with moving around and interacting with things and opening the inventory. Right, yeah. And then, and then we expand a little bit beyond that. And then you're, you have access to one whole building, but it's still just the one building. And, you're not allowed to leave. There was a while where you actually could leave. You could open that gate and get out into the, the the wider compound. But I decided to just people would they would just leave early without kind of finding what they needed to find in yeah. uh, in that first building, and then they would complain that they were totally lost. And so I was like, all right, let's give them a little bit more direction, and then let's set them free. Um. So yeah, yeah makes sense. Um. Okay, and then vice versa. Now that you've developed a game. Uh, has that helped you maybe review games since then? Like maybe do you know know what the game developers you know went you know went through or how difficult it was or whatever? Has that helped at all? Do you think? When you're I think it's games? I think it's made it I think it's made it that much harder. Honestly, um, oh, it's made it harder. <laughs> it's I think it's made it a lot harder because um, it's hard to be mean to someone who's worked so hard on. Like, I know, yeah. <laughs> it's you know, Sagebrush is a tiny game. You know, compared to mm. a lot of things like you know, it's it's small. And it was still so much work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so now, like, I think everyone knows that something like, you know, Red Dead Redemption 2 was an incredible amount of, like, inhuman amount of work, right? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. the stories about that are famous now. And, and, you know, so, like, no one's surprised to hear that that was this a, a massive undertaking. But you don't necessarily think that about, like, these kind of smaller games or, or whatever. So now even playing, you know... Uh, I'll just say there's a game that I'm currently reviewing right now, and I won't say what it is, um, mm-hmm. that I don't really think hits the mark. And in the past, yeah. I might have enjoyed writing a, a negative review and being kind of snarky and getting my witticisms in and things. And now I'm just like, oh, those poor guys, they busted their butts. Yeah. And now, and they're going to see this review and it's going to be a low score. Oh, my cat just jumped off of <laughs> onto a pile of boxes. <laughs> that scared the crap out of me. <laughs> They want to get involved now. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like I've got some, I've got some things to say about that. Um, no, but anyway, so I. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I understand exactly what you mean now. That's um, you know, because like sometimes some of my favorite reviews are, like you know, like the like the one star or zero point five reviews mm-hmm. that are, and or like not not just for games but for movies or books as well that they really go to town on it. But now, I suppose after having developed a game, you do understand. Oh, like they probably went to a lot of bother or trouble but i suppose yeah. then you have to be you have to be honest you know to the readers of adventuregamer.com right that you can't pull if, punches yeah but. that you can't really recommend a game if it doesn't hit the mark so right but, but yeah uh, no, but definitely it's it's i'm a lot more forgiving of things not hitting the mark because i understand like now sure I, yeah when before i released sagebrush i had no idea if anyone would like it I'm still yeah. kind of surprised people do. Like, it's weird to me that people <laughs> enjoy it. I'm flattered and I love it. You know, it's it's been fantastic. The reception has been great. Um, but, you know, for all I knew, people would be like, what is this? You know, this is boring. <laughs> like, this is like these characters suck. <laughs> you know, this is, you're not saying anything new or interesting. And to be fair, I've gotten some of that feedback. Not It, it hasn't stuck the landing for everyone. And yeah, I suppose that's going to happen, you know? Yeah, that's, that's going to happen. Um, yeah. 
It's a good thing, I suppose, that Adventure Gamers gave it a positive review. <laughs> yeah, they did. And, <laughs> and by the way, they didn't know that I, the, the reviewer didn't know that I also wrote for the, there was no... Uh, yeah, I, I, I just there. thought it at the bottom, as, you know, because I thought, wow, if, if he had given this like a one star, this could have been very awkward. But. It could have been, yeah, and I, I was stealing myself for that, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the point being that, you know, it's... You're, when you're so close to something for so long, you have no idea <laughs> if it's going to I, I, I can understand. Yeah, like if, Dan, I want to talk you know, about um, the voice acting and how you went about it you know, for the tape recorders and, mm. and that. Um, so how, how so did, did you work with the actors in a, in a studio or anywhere, or did you find anywhere like a suitable location to work with them? Yeah, that would have cost uh, money. That would have cost money, and I didn't have that. So um, <laughs> yeah, because I wanted to ask you to follow up that. Well, since you're an independent developer, just one person, yeah. uh, how did you go about working with the voice actors? Yeah, so as you said, independent and very independent. Like I, you know, I don't have like I don't have uh, revenue from a previous game or something to put towards this, right? So it's uh, it was a very shoestring budget, and so ev- anywhere that I could, you know. I, I didn't want to have to like get free labor, right? And I, I want to pay people for their for their work, but most of the most of the voice acting parts were very very short, and so I was able to find people in the local game development community in Michigan, um, who have either had some experience or interest in in helping out it with voice acting, and and in a lot of cases it was literally they recorded it at home and emailed it to me, and then. Um, the main character, the the one you hear the most, is my wife. So uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, the 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 narration on all the tape recording stuff that that was literally recorded at my kitchen table. Um, oh okay. <laughs> so um, and the nice thing is that when you are specifically going to degrade the quality of the audio in order to make it sound like it's on an old you know audio cassette, you don't need to worry about recording it on some super high end equipment. So yeah, sure, yeah. Take it. It works. And then, so how? Like when you're working either with your wife or other voice actors, um, mm-hmm. to to get them to you know say the lines, you know, to the way that you want them, you know, it's like you know you're working with them. Uh, mm-hmm. How did you go about direct directing them? <laughs> Just thinking directing your wife. Yeah. Like, well, in voice acting, in, in, in a lot of the mm-hmm. in a lot of the bit parts, um, they just you know we just kind of agreed that they would you know give maybe three or four different reads of each line with different, you know, kind of intonations and slightly different sure. emotional intensity and that kind of thing. And then I'd be able to pick, you know, and, and again, a lot of those, they literally only had three or four lines, you know, so it was still only, you know, a couple minutes of audio at the end. So I would just kind of go through and, and pick the one that uh, most closely matched what I was hearing in my head. But in working with Sarah, my wife, on the much more substantial part, there was, you know, there was a lot of retakes and, and just like, you know, okay, here, here's kind of the 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 uh, headspace I feel like she's in right now, you know, <laughs> like here it's just kind of this dead tone because she's, you know, like she almost doesn't want to think about it. And here, you know, mm-hmm. like she can't push the emotion aside. It's bubbling up out of her and that kind of thing. And here she's kind of, she's a little pissed about this, you know, and that kind of thing. And, and um, my wife, who is not an actress by trade, I think she... She did a, a damn good job. <laughs> I no, I think so as well. She got to different like feelings, you know, because mm-hmm. I think it you know makes sense that like again without giving it to it like with, with the character that makes sense the delivery, the you know the way she it was delivered, and then mm-hmm. in the different sections of the game again, 
uh, you could sense that, as you say, that she was feeling pissed about something or feeling kind of, you know, just thinking, you know, melancholic, maybe thinking about, the, you know, the experience or, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, but yeah, so you can, you can tell your wife, good job. For her. Oh, I have. Uh, no, I'm, I'm really <laughs> for, for the work she did. I, I really think that, you know, there was something, of, I w- for a while, I wasn't sure if I was going to have voice acting uh, in mm-hmm. the game because I just, I was like, well, I, I don't know if I'll have people, you know, um, who want to do it. I don't have the budget to hire people like professionals. Mm-hmm. Who knows if, you know, friends will do a good enough job or something like that. And, I know, um, yeah. And uh, so I, I thought for a while maybe I just would not have, like, the tape recorder sections or I would portray them some other way or something like that. But a friend of mine who specifically was talking about Gone Home with me said that, you know, for him, the reason that game landed the game the reason that game worked was the voiceover it was mm. the the very like human emotion of hearing someone's voice crack you know and so, you know as they're reminiscing and sure. that kind of thing and when he said that i was kind of like yeah no i gotta do it <laughs> you know yeah um, it makes sense uh um, okay yeah. okay okay yeah and then with some music in the game you know the, the haunting score um <laughs> did, did you do the music yourself um, yeah, I did all the music except for in one of the trailers. That was some public domain uh, music okay. by this uh, French guitarist, Mon Plaisir. Mon Plaisir. I don't know. Yeah, he has. Music yeah. Out. Okay. He has music available on the Free Music Archive and stuff, and he just he just puts out pretty much him just noodling on the guitar. Um, endlessly. Yes, in the public domain. And and he oh. and he specifically puts it in the public domain. And uh, yeah, I I just listen to hundreds of tracks until I found some that kind of had the, had the vibe that I was looking for. But, um, but the rest of it, um, outside of that trailer, I, yeah, I composed, um, and so, so in game you compose the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And did, uh, uh, so did you have, you know, did you play music, you know, yourself then in any way, or did you just learn to do it for the game? Um, I messed around with it. I would not call myself like much, you know, it's, I don't play in a band or anything. I didn't, high school you know um i played i played trumpet and i play a little guitar um sure but, yeah um but you know if you ask me to pick up a guitar and play a song on it i don't know that i could <laughs> right now it's been a long it's been a while but um over the past few years i, I just kind of messed around with making more like ambient and kind of electronic music using kind of a, a weird old program called Jascola buzz um which mm-hmm. is like kind of an old tracker um <clears throat> kind of software um but you're able to get some like really kind of just weird synthy noises out of it and uh you have a lot of control over um uh, sure yeah kind of kind of just i don't know like just manipulating the sounds and that kind of and and um again you, i think you can tell by how i'm talking about this i'm not i'm not a musician by trade but i just kind of messed around until i got <laughs> something that i that sounded good to me <laughs> i'm i'm really happy with how it turned out i'm surprised it yeah it could um, turn out well but yeah uh, I kind of defaulted to like, well, I guess this game's going to have kind of atonal, <laughs> uh, a- ambient, creepy music because that's that's pretty much what I can do. Yeah, but it, I think it because it is like a kind of, as we mentioned, a creepy game. That, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it works well like for a game that's in this compound about a cult, it's apocalyptic cult. Uh, yeah, know, I think yeah. If it was if it's a cheerful score, it wouldn't have worked, however good it was. So. Right. Yeah. No. I think I think if I had had you know 
all the budget that I wanted or something like that and, and the freedom to kind of get whatever end result. I think I might have gone for a more like acoustic kind of like a mm-hmm. spare guitar kind of you know, sound, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with how the the kind of synthy uh, ambient nice, yeah. uh, soundtrack worked out. You mentioned that you are a developer, you've been doing this in your free time, so just want to talk you know, a little bit about that. Um, first of all, you mentioned you have another job, a full-time job, so mm-hmm. how, wh- when did you then make the game? So did you schedule free time to make the game or wherever you free time? So I'm thinking for other developers or people right. in a situation who might want to make their own game. Uh, how did you go about setting time aside to make the uh, yourself? Um, it wasn't super easy. Um, mm, and, I can but imagine. It was, but yeah, and I, and I never, like, I would go through phases. So sometimes I did have, like, all right, tonight I'm sitting, you know, tonight's a work night, and I would sit down and, you know, block myself off and, you know, be try to be productive. And sometimes it was, well, I can work on it for an hour here or 20 minutes here. And, there, and then there were times where, you know, we during the development we bought a house and I didn't get a whole lot done oh. during that time you know that kind of thing. Oh, I, I uh, understand very well. <laughs> yeah, benefits of having a day job again. <laughs> like, <laughs> I certainly would not be able to do that on uh, the income from Sagebrush, as nice as it is. Um, mm. And uh, and uh, yeah, so it was you know it was it was off and on, but um, when it was on, you know, I I just felt very I felt wrong if I wasn't working on it basically you know it, it, yeah. was, kind of always, it was always kind of like gnawing at me I, not early on like early on you work on it because you're excited and then you kind of hit this point where it's like it's a real project and you got to see it through now like you know or, or, you, or you've failed like it's not just something you're messing around with like this is a thing now you've shown it to people and you you have a name for it and you know and so um, yeah it was it was actually kind of nice once I it was almost kind of nice once it got into the more like boring work and less like that creative uh, explosion up front, you know, where you're like, oh, I got this great idea, you know, it, to where it's like, oh wait, I'm this is like actual game development, <laughs> like I'm not just messing around, like I have, to, I'm gonna finish this thing up, and just that end goal of like finishing a thing was kind of what got me to, you know, all right, you know what, I would like to go just play Destiny tonight, but maybe I'll <laughs> not, and maybe I'll you know, work on fixing the texture alignment on the, you know, the walls of the, of the, the sure, chapel. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, one of the important things for me was that I, I have a day job that I enjoy, but isn't, you know, it doesn't sap like a hundred percent of my energy, you know, when mm. I come home, um, uh, to the point where I, I've actually hesitated to, to move, you know, to consider other jobs, um, just because I, I don't know what would happen if I had a job that, where I was like, you know, I came home just completely exhausted and, you know, um, so I still have this kind of mental bandwidth to, to, to think creatively and to, and to come home and put a little more time in on, on game development, um, or other side projects. Um, and so that was kind of important, just making sure that I had a life, I had a life that left a little bit of room for that, you know, uh, in sure. of, in ter- not just even in time, but in terms of energy. And, and from there, it just was pretty much grabbing what time I could, usually weekends, you know. Sitting for the computer, saying, I got to get this done. I got to finish this game. Yeah. Just pulling up, you know, Saturday morning, grab a cup of coffee, sit down and 
start pounding away, you know. Um, it must be very rewarding now after all all the work that you see. The game is released and it's got a generally positive review, you know, mm-hmm. reception. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, oh, it's, the work was worth it. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's been wonderful. I, I wasn't really, I was preparing myself to pretty much put it out and have it completely ignored um, because I don't have, you know, beyond having done some reviews for Adventure Gamers, I don't have a huge presence mm. in the in, game community right and and you know there's just the market is so saturated and there's so many people working on so many cool things you know right, uh, yeah. that who am i with my stupid you know with my little right you know and and some of that's just my own hang-ups you know my own natural mindset is to uh, assume no one would care but i was pretty i was you know, pretty ready to just kind of say, well, at least I finished it. I put it out there. I sold 10 copies or something to my family and friends and, you know, and that that was cool. But, but then, you know, people started picking up on it and I kind of found a little circle on Twitter of people who are interested in, you know, similar types of games who work on similar types of games. And we were able to kind of signal boost each other and, and, and positive reviews started coming in and yeah. And it's been wonderful. Yeah, no, I, I can imagine, you know, so, well, congratulations again on that. And how, how long did it take you to make the game? Um, less? So it came out in September of 2018, and I think I technically started on it January 17, so year and a half, um, roughly. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of that used work from that previous project, just some of the basic Right, yeah. Kind of exploratory art style stuff, and and some of the some code from my previous project. That so that was another maybe six months on that um, before I canceled that. And so yeah, uh, around a, a year and a half to two years. Which you know, if I had been able to work full time on it, it might have only been a few months. But because it was you yeah, know, cramped, yeah, cramped yeah. into spare time, it <laughs> took a while. But uh, but I, it was also something that I specifically wanted. When I started the project, I specifically told myself, like, this is going to be something that's not, it needs to be something that won't take six or seven years. Like, and you see these indie right, projects yeah. that's like, after seven years of development, it finally came out. And it's like, that's wonderful. It's, I'm so happy for them. That's super cool. But I don't know if I could handle it if I worked that long and then something didn't <laughs> succeed. And so yeah. I, I figured if it's going to fail, I want it to be something that I didn't spend no, no, I, I, I can understand, you know, that you put so much time and effort into it and you release it, and then if people have bad reviews, they're like, well, I put so much time into it. But, yeah. And you know, that hasn't happened with your game, just need to be clear. Oh, no, uh, yeah. Knowing what you know now, so if you were to go back and make the game again, would you, you know, do, do you think that you would change anything? Was there anything that really worked or any decisions you made or any lessons learned or anything at all like if you were to go back or would you just do, do it the same again um i know that's kind of a trick well it's not a trick question but it's you not know, it can be hard to answer because you know now yeah no i you know, i'm going back probably be different anyway but i'm generally really happy with how it turned out um considering you know that i it was basically a, a many firsts for me uh, it really, you know, there were a lot of times where I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I, I've been there. I'm, I'm, I understand only too well that thing. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm happy with how, you know, I think visually it turned out much more consistent than I, I was worried that it was just going to look kind of crappy, right? And not everyone loves the the art style. It's not for everybody, but the people who, the people who appreciate it, it, it seems to really click for them, and um, that's been great. And the story. Um, I think 
if I could go back, I might have expanded it a little bit, um, maybe just a little longer. Not much, because I, I like that it's it doesn't outstay its welcome. Exactly, uh, yeah. Um, but there are a couple things that I, I kind of wish that I had maybe expanded on certain characters that don't get much time or certain aspects of just kind of the cult experience that I, I didn't really touch on as, as, as much as I might have liked. But, and then I think, I th- you know, like I said, I, I, I went back and forth a lot on how linear versus non-linear to make the game and how kind of open, should it just be this open compound and it's all just about you piecing the story together or should you be kind of guided through it? And it, I think the final product ended up a little more linear than I might have liked. I'm, I'm not disappointed, but, but I, I, I'm interested in the, like giving the player a little more freedom because I, I like games that kind of allow you to get lost and that kind of, kind of put some of the work on you because then yeah. when, you, when you accomplish it or when you find that your way or when you figure it out, like it feels that much more rewarding. Yeah. I might've, okay, I might've tried yeah. to lean a little more in that direction, but no, in general, I'm, I'm quite happy with how it turned out. Yeah. It's a good ter- turned out. Uh, well, um, so then did you use, you know, for like the budget for the game, did you use your <laughs> own money to, to make the game? Yeah. But you know, when I say budget, like I'm, it was next to nothing. I know. Um, okay. And I was pretty adamant about, like, stubbornly. So, you know, I I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with um, buying assets and buying, you know, tools. Like Unity has this wonderful this store that's so full of, you know, things that can save you time. And for a lot of it, when the decision came down to spending money or just spending more time on, you know doing it myself i kind of just chose to do it myself because i was just i was i was convinced it wasn't gonna make any money um so i I tried to spend very little on it um i did end up buying some so you know like you know the input system and the save game system you know like a lot of it does end up relying on um some tools um which are actually pretty commonly used um in unity games but Uh, no i but but it was my own money and that's partially why I didn't want to spend it. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, well. No, I, I, I think all told I only spent a couple hundred dollars putting making the game. Um, so, well, hopefully now, maybe in future, things, which actually brings me to my next question. Um, hmm. After, you know, I know you've just released this game, but do you have any future plans to make any other games in future or maybe work with other developers or... Or are you just kind of waiting to see how this goes and and see what happens? So yes, definitely more in the future. A, a sequel? No I'm kidding. <laughs> no, so that's one thing I I adamantly am not going to. So no, Stage Rush was not going to get a sequel. There's you know <laughs> um, people do people do ask and like no, there's no more story to tell there. Um, you know you could yeah. potentially do something. I guess there could be a Stage Rush two that was a different cult story or something but i feel like it would just be kind of repeating mm. i don't have a whole lot more to say on the topic you know <laughs> um and but i definitely want to make more there's also not quite totally confirmed but uh, looking pretty good plans to bring it to consoles which would be very That's exciting what i meant to what i meant to ask her before the that our question there so where, where can people so do you have plans on putting it on other you know like consoles or mobile or anything Right, so that you're answering, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's um, yeah. There's some, there are plans. Um, you know, there's a lot of question marks in there, but there are plans right now to try to bring it to, um, PlayStation Four, Xbox One, Switch. Um, that's about it for now. I think okay. it it could be an okay fit on mobile, but it's a very dark game, and it's kind of hard. Yeah. To, 
it'd be very hard to see in a lot of places. And also, um, I didn't necessarily, I would have to probably refactor a lot of the game and optimize a lot of it because, uh, things that I was able to get away with on relatively beefy desktops. Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's not the most intensive game graphically, but you can, if you don't do things smartly and I didn't do some things very smartly, performance can actually be pretty rough on mobile. So I, I haven't tried it and I don't, I don't really have plans to right now, but it's not off the table. Yeah. And then going forward, um, I don't have any, I'm I'm playing around with new ideas. We'll just say that. Um, okay, good. Good to know. Yeah, um, I have a kind of bad tendency to go in completely opposite directions from when I finish something and want to work on something totally different. So um, uh, the smart, the smart thing, to, yeah, I don't know. The smart thing to do would probably be to try to like make another semi kind of similar game and build off of you know what I've learned and some of the code base and that kind of thing. And uh, I probably won't do that. <laughs> I might. I don't know. I don't know. That's I have good, a lot. To, good to expand as well. You know, try something yeah. different. I suppose, yeah. but. I, I'm I'm interested in potentially making something that has gameplay. You know? <laughs> like, I don't know things where you do more than just read notes, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, right now, it's it's kind of the the horizon is wide open. And um, so, wh- where can people buy the game Saintbrush then? Um, yeah, so it's available on Steam and on Itch.io. Uh huh. They're equivalent. Uh, so yeah, whichever kind of strikes your fancy. Um, it's. Yeah. Six dollars and ninety nine cents normally. Okay, uh, so I forget exactly can... what the equivalent is in euros, uh, but it's yeah. I don't think people pretty affordable. Yeah, I think it's similar, like it's five euros. Uh, yeah. I think it's five euros seventy nine. I saw or something around that, something like five like eight that, or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, so I don't think people can complain, you know, about the price. At least it's no. I I didn't want to try to dupe anybody in mm. like it's a short game, and I'm not going to charge that much for it, you know. So and then again, yeah. it's during during the game it. It is interesting. You do get, you know, an interesting experience. So, and yeah, unique as well. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And did the game? Do you have a website? You know, get did the game have a website? Yeah. So, readactgames. More about it. Uh, readactgames.com is the website. Uh, right now, it's pretty much just kind of the a splash page with links to uh, to buy the game on Steam and Itch uh, and a trailer and that kind of thing. But there's also a contact form if for some reason you want to reach out um, and uh, and tell me my game is terrible. You can do that. Um. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, I'm sure they wouldn't. <laughs> no. no. Well, no. But um, I hope not. <laughs> oh no, some people have, but meh, most people seem to really. Most people have been really, really nice, and that's that's great. Oh, good. Uh, that's good. Yeah, but I don't know uh, why people would go to the like. To contact you to say like want to leave a review okay which is contact like that that kind of mean that yeah but well, at least most people were positive so that we can concentrate the internet. on that the internet. You're never I know <laughs> okay yeah we're, but we're, but I think as maybe there's you know if if there are future projects then Redact Games will, the site will grow into a little bit more sure, informational yeah. whereas right now it's just kind of a link to buy the game okay and where can people find you then online so on social media and that. Um, so primarily I spend too much time on Twitter, so I'm at Ludodrome, which is L-U-D-O-D-R-O-M-E. Um, and yeah, that's, that's my primary Twitter and yeah, that's probably the best way to, you know, keep up, keep up with what I'm working on and, you know, I, my DMs are open. (laughs) Okay, Sure. And uh, so, so, be nice to him, please. <laughs> you spent a lot of time working at this game, so yeah, 
Um, but you can also you can also catch some. You know, I I I don't do as many reviews as I used to, but um, I still do the occasional review for Adventure Gamers. Um, and yeah, there's also Ludo Drum is actually the name of a YouTube channel that I have that where I, I occasionally put up uh, little gaming documentary videos that I work on. Um, okay. Less since I started making games. Because working on them just made me want to make games. So. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's where so, I'm at. Great, okay. So then before we finish, Dan, do you have any last thoughts or any last words for anybody listening or any other uh, you know, adventure game fan or any you know, people who might buy the game or any other developer? So I'll, I'll leave it to you then to finish off. Um, hmm, let's see. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I'll just say to anyone that did check out the game, like it's, thank you so much. Uh, it's it's really been wonderful to make something and have people really seem to get something out of it. Like that's that's what I wanted, you know, was just to have to evoke reactions, to get people thinking, to get people feeling, and, and maybe freak them out a little too. <laughs> um, and so it's been it's been really really great to to hear that from people that 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 it's hitting the mark for them. Um, and then, uh, yeah, uh, to anybody who's got these, like, game ideas kind of brewing, but they feel like they can't actually do it, I spent most of my, like, 20s not making games, and I really wish that I had. Um, yeah. I, I thought I couldn't do it, and now I'm not in my 20s, and, <laughs> uh, but it, I, I did it, you know, right? Like, you know, it, it took a long time, and it took a lot of uh, stubbornness on my part to, you know, kind of go back and go, wait, oh, programming's hard, oh, wait. I know I get it. Wait, I get it. Okay. You know, and trying to find out what are my strengths and how can I make a game that plays to those strengths and that kind of thing. But um, it's been extremely rewarding. So I would encourage anybody who's kind of felt like they're they're holding back to to I don't know, take the dive, download an engine, download Adventure Game Studio or Game Maker or Unity and get some tutorials and start plugging away. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, you worked at it and now it's now it's released. It's out there. So that's. Uh, Sagebrush, they can find on Steam and itch, itch.io. So, uh, okay, thank you very much, uh, Nathaniel or, or Nate. So, I'll include the links in the show notes and the website of VentureGamesPodcast.com. Well, best of luck with, with the game and best of luck with the future plans then. So, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was, it was great to chat. So, that was my interview with Nathaniel Behrens. I hope you enjoyed it. And I myself played the game, and as I mentioned before, the interview it really got to me more than I expected. It's it's not a horror, but it is it is creepy. And as the game goes on, as day turns into night, and you then begin to find out more and more about what happened to the cult members, and then the ending, which I won't spoil, but it it surprised me, and it was very very well done. And especially considering how this was a very independent game, how Nathaniel used all the resources he could, and in the time that he could, he also had a full-time job. So it really is incredible that he was able to make a game that was really this, this good in his free time. And of course, as he mentioned, he got his wife to do the voice acting for the main character, but she was really good portraying all all different types of, of emotions in this game. Uh, so I would really recommend this game if you want uh, something. It's 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 a short game, but it took me about an hour and a half, two hours, but it was a good hour and a half, two hours, and I would really recommend this game 
to to anybody who just wants to to play a different type of adventure game uh, than is what is already out there. Uh, so that is it for this week. So next week I will be joined once again by Thomas Bex. Uh, we will be talking about the latest adventure games we have played, and we'll be looking ahead to quarter one 2019. We talk with some games that will be out then that we are most looking forward to. So until then, take care. So if you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps and reviews will help get the word out, especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast. Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at AdventGamePod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a adventure game developer or adventure game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you